Welcome to the show, where my friends and I tell real-world stories of other-world magic. My name is Peyton, and I'm into it. Welcome, everybody. My name is Peyton Turner, and I'm into it. And so is my like really super special guest today, Catherine McCord. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. It's sort of weird because we're friends, so I'm not going to act all professional, or maybe I should. No, this is just like a conversation between friends. So yeah, so Catherine and I, um, just a little like snippet of a background information. So Catherine's like this amazing entrepreneur who has started um, several companies, one of which um, is called Weelicious, which is a a company that teaches like a really a movement that teaches children um, and parents how to eat nutritious foods and make it fun for the kids. Um, and Catherine and I have known each other since we were little babies, like just little tiny blobs of flesh sitting on the couch and like our parents <laughs> would lean us up against each other and take pictures and, um, and spent most of our formative years together, you know, just running around and, and I just have so many memories just so many special memories. And it's so funny because I'm thinking back about all the memories that I have of us. And um, a lot of the ones that stand out involve food. <laughs> of course, because that's all I want. It's, it's a universal theme in my life. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I have this one memory of us going, you know, like trying to go to sleep tonight, sleep at night when we're really young, like 10 years old. And all you wanted to do was eat pickles. And so I remember you waving pickles in front of my face. And then I remember this one time yeah, right. When we were um, at, at your parents' house about the same age, and we decided that we were going to make um, cookies from scratch. Do you remember this? Never having made oh, cookies. Oh, I remember. And so does my mom. So Never my having mom. made Trust cookies me. before. And I don't know how we were like left unattended for so long. But if you can imagine two 10 year olds never having made cookies before, but like completely convinced that we were capable of doing it. And then about halfway through the process, I like I had my had my face in a bowl, a mixing bowl with, and I was trying to blend the butter, a stick of butter that was almost frozen with sugar. And it just wasn't quite working. And I was using a fork and your mom came in the kitchen was like, I want everything. She said, I just remember one thing. I want everything back exactly how you found it. And then she walked out I, and I looked in the bowl wait. and I looked at you and I took the pieces of butter and I started to form them back into a bar. <laughs> And, and awesome. I, yeah, oh, oh, trust me, it's a re history repeating itself. I can't catch my kids uh, doing it all the time now. But generally, yeah, around midnight, maybe that's just like a rite of passage for kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, such good memories. Well, and so now um, you've had a, um, a really amazing and interesting life from my perspective. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate about you, and it's one of the things that I like about myself as well, is that you um, are not afraid to do things a little bit differently than everybody else. And um, I don't know if you believe that to be true about yourself, but that's how I see you. And so I'm wondering if you could just start off just like, just maybe speaking to that, like what it's like to, de to just kind of forge your own path in a world where everybody's doing the same thing. Well, sometimes I think it's funny because it's it just like a lot of things sort of, I mean, it's weird. I get, I mean, you know, you always hear this, like, is it luck or is it your destiny or, you know, what, or, or, or hard work? Like, what did you do to get there? And for me, I think it's definitely a little bit of everything. Um, I def, I, I, I mean, from being a little kid, I was always, um, 
selling something, going door to door. I've always been like, had that entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, just like used car salesman, like, what can I sell to you? You know, even when I was like little kid, I mean, when I was thinking about this today, that my parents bought me a job when I was in seventh grade, like they bought me a job at like a raffle making corsages. I mean, and I remembered sitting there being like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, it was like babysitting for anyone. Uh, you know, I just always always, you know, that sort of like spirit. And I, I forged ahead because I was like super passionate about everything that I did. So I don't know whether it's, you know, it, I, I created a different path, but it was more that like my kind of like my, my spirit and my, my chutzpah and like everything in me, let, like, let me, I wasn't scared to do anything. Let's just say yeah. that. I just was yeah. like, I, I want to try this all the time. Yeah. You were pretty fearless um, as a kid and very, very energetic. And um, let's, let's get this straight. Peyton would like go to the top of the diving board that was like on the fourth floor of a building to me. (laughs) I didn't have that kind of spirit. You were much more like, how high can I go in like a dove flying (laughs) off? And I was like, there is no way, no way. Different kinds of different kinds of chutzpah. Isn't it so funny the way that um, now as adults, um, we can look back at each other and see, see things that we admire in each other that, you know, at the time it's like, I mean, I'm like, well, that was like nothing to me. Right. Like that was just who I was. And then I look at you and I'm like, and you've got this great entrepreneurial spirit. You're like, well, that's just who I was. Right. Like, it's just, it's so fun that um, to have these conversations where we can celebrate, celebrate that about each other. Yeah. Um, Celebrate each other's like gifts and differences and what makes us all unique. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. So, you know, because the show is about intuition and, and, my, um, you know, overview of you and your life is that, you know, pretty, you got into modeling pretty early. I want to say it was like around 14 and then off to New York at 16. Does that make, is that about the, I, I, I was, it was actually 13. I just turned 13 when I started modeling and when I was like in my first contest. Um, and then I lived in New York my freshman to sophomore year. So I was 15. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and just the, turned 15. Like me, my mom's to this day is always like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Because your parents weren't with you in New York, right? Mm-mm. No, they didn't. I lived in New York and then Paris two summers in a row before I like my big moment came when I was 17. And, and then my mother came and traveled with me when it got like really in, insane and intense. Yeah. So tell me about, I know that time in your life was exciting and energetic and demanding and sometimes scary um, and sometimes overwhelming. So tell me, um, and, I, and what I would like to say is that you learned a lot about yourself during that time. And so speaking from an intuitive place, um, do you feel like that time in your life of, of like being so young and traveling and encountering like and encountering so many different people in so many big cities and also in the modeling industry, which can be magical and brutal all in the same moment. Um, Do you feel like that was a time in your life at which you really learned how to trust yourself? Oh, trust myself. No, (laughs) I I, I think that I think that that was a, I mean, I just thought I could do anything. I mean, like, like nothing, I wasn't, 
I mean, all the words that you used were right, but I, um, I think it was, I was so young. I mean, I was willing and wanting and I had the drive to do it, but like really getting to know myself probably didn't happen into my twenties. Now having said, and maybe even thirties, but having said that, I think that's true about a lot of young people. I just was like forging ahead, forging ahead. And I think I was convincing everyone around me that I was totally okay. So they, everyone was just like, she's okay. She's good. Like let her go do it. So, but you know, inside, I think I was always like, can I really do this? Like second guessing myself, but, but nothing ever stopped me, but it was, it's like, I think that people think that, you know, like modeling is so glamorous and it's so fun, but it's also very lonely. So, you know, I think that that's probably one of the bigger lessons that I, you know, I learned in my life um, because you're really, you're with the same people uh, for two days and then you fly somewhere else and you're with different people for two days. So you constantly are, you know, um, like manipulating your own personality or changing it to adapt to where you are. Yes. And that is, and at a time when you're finding out what your personality is anyway, and then you're having to adapt it and change it. That's, that is what a crazy experience. And what, yeah, but you do. Yeah. But you do have to use like, to your point about like what this is all about is like your intuition. And also you're like challenging your intuition every day because when you, when you're not used to, you know, um, what the expectation, you know, like in a normal life, when you, you have an expectation of what everything is going to be like every day, when you're, you know, you really have to like, you have your guard up and be able to kind of like, uh, like, like judge quickly, figure things out quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really is, um, that really is what intuition is all about. I think if you, the definition that I love of intuition is something along the lines of um, it's a knowing without any, um, any conceivable data. Like, so you don't, you don't have any um, tangible data, but it's still a knowing and, and especially at that age, being so young, when you're just so, you know, you're, uh, you don't, you don't have a life experience to really know and like judge a book by its cover necessarily, you're slightly naive. So that was one thing that I, you know, I I've always felt like very grown up. But when I look back, I'm like, I was just a little kid. Like, I had, you know, how was I supposed to know? But luckily, I had great parents, like kind of driving, driving my, uh, driving me into the right direction. Yeah. So tell me, um, tell me, and I want to move into what you're doing now. So at some point, and you've always been fascinated with food and with cooking and baking and, and, and creating meals for people. Um, so tell me how you transitioned out of modeling and then into, um, you went to culinary school. Is that right? Yeah. So I was modeling and acting, believe it or not, um, in New York and I had always wanted to go to culinary school. I mean, I collected the cookbooks and Bon Appetit and Gourmet Magazine from the age of like nine, 10 years old. I, you know, I was always like, I was with my grandparents and they were like, you pick farms, like Stumblers Orchard, and, you know, all these places. And I was just fascinated. And even through modeling, really, what be more fascinating for me was I couldn't, I was, I, I, because I, I also lived as an, an exchange student when, um, 
in Mexico when I was 12. And I just was fascinated watching how people ate in different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, in Mexico, like kids would eat like spice. And in Morocco, um, people would eat like kids would eat like these big, bold flavors. And um, in France, that was like very breakfast and lunch and dinner. And yet when I was in the United States, so often I would see like this kind of dumbed down cuisine, like on the go, drive through. Um, but yet my parents, luckily, like we had very much five o'clock dinner. And it, I always saw it as the connective tissue to, you know, families and people being together. But what ended up happening is that I lived blocks from the trade center um, on, on 9-11 and I was supposed to go see the Institute of Culinary Education that day and, you know, watching the second tower come down and like that experience, I was like, this is it. Like I'm supposed to change my life. Like mm-hmm. I, so overnight, uh, that's really what happened was I, I ended up um, kind of modeling and a- or acting to support myself during the day. And I went to culinary school at night for a year and a half. I, you know, I love that story. And I, I, there's, um, I don't know if you are familiar with Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Um, mm. I, yeah, I, yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. So Joseph Campbell is an American philosopher and he, um, he is pretty famous for um, describing something called the hero's journey and the hero's journey. Um, the best way for me to describe it is it's in every major motion picture that's ever succeeded right so like lord of the rings like the the protagonist the hero is in comfortable in his little town and then he gets the call to action and then he goes out on a journey and he has all of these spiritual adventures and he has all these trials and tribulations and he has um he has what are called allies in disguise which are people that look like enemies along the way but actually that help move him along on his spiritual path and then he has mentors and then he gains all this knowledge and then the circle is complete when he comes back to the village to comes back to the community to, to teach the story. Yeah. And there's always that call to action moment. Right. And so throughout the course of our lives, I mean, we're in multiple heroes journey cycles. I mean, I can look back over mm-hmm. my life and think there've been a thousand mirror moments where I've looked in the mirror and been like, okay, things have to change, you know, or this mm-hmm. is the moment at which something's going to be different, but how powerful for you, like to have that moment of you were supposed to be, and I believe you were supposed to be in the trade center, like that morning, right? I was, I was supposed to, yeah, you, you have a good memory. Yeah, yeah. I had, I, there was a bookstore and I was supposed to go Barnes and Noble and there was a book I was had on hold and I was supposed to go there. So you know, I, there is like, I, yeah, I believe in a lot of things that, you know, I, so it was, it definitely was my journey. I mean, this was like my super aha moment. Yeah. So great. So then fast forward. So now you're like, you've heard your calling, like culinary school is where you want to be. Yeah. So I worked in, um, I finished culinary school with, it was 12 girls and one guy. It was like the, so much like estrogen, all these incredible women together, which is very rare for culinary school, but it was this like super dynamic group that I'm still friends with today. And uh, I graduated and went to, um, I worked in catering companies and restaurants between New York and LA. And then I had my son And I realized that I could cook a four-star meal and I had no idea what or when to feed this little person. So I started Weelicious really as, I mean, you know, I had kind of saved all my money from working, you know, from my previous career. So I really used this kind of like new blog and this is 13 years ago I started it. So it was very like, 
early, early yeah, food vlogging. for something new and fancy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wanted like a place to sort of like almost like a diary to catalog it and to connect with people. And it just became, I realized like on day one, I wasn't the only one. I mean, I was taking, by the way, I was taking pictures with this like little Nikon camera. And and someone had said to me, like, as I sent out this email to everyone, like, I'm doing this thing called Weelicious. And someone was like, it sort of looks like poop. I mean, the pictures were like little blobs <laughs> of baby food. I mean, it wasn't exactly uh, as a food blog is today. It was uh, but I, I just, um, I started really, you know, it's sort of a personal diary of my experience feeding Kenyan. I'd taken a lot of nutrition classes and, and it just became, you know, Weelicious very quickly became like, how do you not be a short order cook? How do you make um, food for the entire family? So really it, what started as baby and toddler food evolved, even as like the my family. And even today, I get at least an email a day from someone saying, I started, you know, 10 years ago. And now I have a 10 year old and we still, you, you know, cook from, you know, Weelicious every day. And which is like the best, because I, I think that everything that I've done, I want families to feel empowered and connected yeah. and not be scared to get their kids in the kitchen. Um, and for moms and dads to, you know, to feel good because it's like, it's a very thankless job. It's 21 meals plus snacks, seven days a week for 18 years. So yeah. it's like food <laughs> is the one thing that never goes away for parents. Okay. Yeah. And like, it's oh. funny. I love this concept of like how to not be a short order cook, because I think of so many of my friends with many children, like two, three, four children, and they are um, cooking like a short order cook. It's like, well, what do you want? And I don't like the chicken nuggets. I want this. And I don't want that. I want this. And so what would you say? And I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but so what would you say to people who have found themselves and you know, like, and their kids are like, you know, they're getting older, right? So they haven't started this concept that you started very young when you're, when your first child was born, what would you tell parents who have kids in the age? And I'm thinking, particularly of one, this one friend whose children are ages like seven to 14, right? There's four. You're like not thinking of anyone really specific, but there's someone very specific. Yeah, and it's like, well, how, how would you, is there a way to, to now shift and pivot and change and, and to just create one meal? Like how, what, what kind of advice would you give for that? I'm just curious. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, b believe me, I don't ever think it's too late to start. And I mean, unfortunately, I don't like to be the one to say it, but parents are the problem. It's not the kids, uh, you know, because we set up these sort of like, you can have anything you want. And sure, I'll make Timmy mac and cheese and chicken nuggets for Sa Sarah. And, you know, you, next thing you know, you're like, I'm literally, I've given them the accessibility to like anything you want, mommy, I'll make. So I think that it's always like two choices. I don't care if it's a one-year-old or it's a 16-year-old. It's like, you get two choices. You can have uh, carrots or celery. You can have apple or banana. Yeah, I'm offering you two choices, but you get to pick one of them. So a lot of where kids end up pushing back is they don't have choice because we tell them where to go to school, what to wear, sometimes who their friends are be. So the one thing that they can kind of give you the, the invisible middle finger is like, <laughs> what they want to eat, you know, and they will three times that. a day. Invisible yeah. middle finger. <laughs> you know, when you're because your kids won't do that to you, but they're thinking it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, so the, there's, there is hope for all those people out there who feel like they're running amok, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and really, and also, like, I eat for young kids, older kids, they, um, 
have them write a list or tell you a list, put it on a whiteboard, put it in your phone of their 10 favorite foods and healthy foods. And because I think sometimes also like kids are like, you know, I don't like that. I don't like that. But then if you say, well, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? They're like, oh, I do like that. Oh, right. And see how much crossover and how you can cross utilize those foods to save money too. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Um, okay. So going back to when you started Relicious, it was um, taking all of your culinary skills and creating food for your then newborn and moving into, yeah. you know, once, once uh, in Kenya started, um, Kenya's your firstborn, once he started eating and you, you say in your, in your book, Smoothie Project, um, that he was your muse. And so yeah. really like, I mean, he, it all started because of him. And as he's grown, you've also grown with him and created foods for families and for, you know, bigger kids instead of, you know, pureed, like make your own baby food type stuff. Um, and then, so that's, I love that, that this, you know, this son of yours has become your muse. And then in reading your book, the smoothie project, which I just, I love the introduction you talk about, he started having some health challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so I'll, uh, yeah. Do, should I elaborate on that? Well, yeah. I, yes. And I think that in, I, I read, I read that before we got on today, I reread it. I've read it once. I read it again before we got on today. And I think so much of what you say in that part of that book um, is how I feel about Western medicine, which has its place. And I love the doctors and I spent 14 years practicing Western medicine, you know, in cardiology and cardiac surgery. But so much of Western medicine strips away our own intuition about our own body and as mother, our own intuition about our children. And sometimes I think moms have an easier time being intuitive about their own children than they do for themselves. And so I look at Kenya not only as your muse, but as, um, as an opportunity in which you got to follow your own intuition as a mom and really take, take the reins in healing him. So that's really what I, if you are comfortable speaking about that, that's what I would love for you to speak on. Yes. So, I mean, um, he, yes. So he is now 14 um, and he is a hundred percent. My muse uh, was, is, um, so he became a vegetarian by choice when he was five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, When I look back and I think about it, he was always like, like didn't like meat, like the, like he liked ground meat and occasionally salmon, but there was just like this, um, natural feeling that came, you know, where he just was like, I don't want me. And um, so at five years old, and people were like, he's five years old, you can't listen to him. What does he know? And I was like, no, he, he like, there's something I need to adapt. He's not saying no to food. He's saying specifically, he just doesn't want to eat meat for whatever reason. So um, yeah, I started educating myself and this like started, you know, for Weelicious, started educating myself even more about all the plant-based choices. And then when he was um, about eight years old, he started to get really sick. Um, He was getting headaches and nausea. And this, this is a kid who like never complains about anything like physical. He'll just like take it. Um, and he was just like one in the morning. It was just all these different things. So I was seeing doctors and nutritionists and trying to like figure out what was going on, getting him blood tested. And the, and the doctors really couldn't figure anything out. And I just read this one line in a book about smoothies. And I was like, it was, it was how to heal your kids naturally. Mm-hmm. And so I made this, took this piece of paper the next morning and I drew all these horrible little pictures of like a banana and an apple and an orange and like all these different 
things that I could put in a smoothie that I had in my kitchen. And I said, I said to him in a very wheelicious way, you get to pick any smoothie you want, just like a menu. Like I made it super engaging and fun because I didn't want him immediately say no. So we circled them all up day one, he had a smoothie and he like loved it. It was like so fun. And he, and he's not scared of vegetables. So he was putting in like fruits and vegetables day two, he had another day three. And within several weeks, um, almost all of his symptoms had gone away. What I eventually chalked it up to was being the wheelicious mom, you know, I was, and him being a vegetarian, I was making him pancakes and waffles and quesadillas. And it was just like bread and cheese and bread and cheese and flour and more dairy. And his system just started to like push back. So I started to you know, realize that I was the problem. And so as soon as every morning he started like having a smoothie and we as a family all started having a smoothie, it was just this like really easy filling um, easy for our bodies to you know, accept these foods and not reject them. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of illness to your point um, in this country is unfortunately based around food. It's funny, last night, my mom and I, she, she watches this show and this commercial kept coming on about these um, pills. You, you eat your fruits and vegetables from pills. Oh. They're yes. like freeze dried. Do you know what I'm talking about? And yeah. I, my mom, it came on like three different times. I was like, I, don't people just want to have a salad or a fruit salad? Or like, it's so easy. I was like, you're taking pills that have fruits and vegetables. I'm like, so confused. Like, you know, this is the food we should be eating. It's, it's pretty simple. It's yeah. just about, you know, learning to love it like anything else. Yeah. And it's, it's all diets always been really fascinating to me because I, I, don't do well on a vegetarian diet. I would love, I would love nothing it used more. used to be vegetarian. I know. You were vegetarian for years. For a long time. Um, and I would love nothing more um, than to be vegetarian. However, um, you know, I have found that like an autoimmune paleo diet is where, is where I'm be I do best. You know, if I just stick to really high quality meats and um, like root veggies and stuff like that. And really um, in the wintertime, only warm and cooked foods, stay away from dairy, stay away from grains. Like that's where I feel my best. And so, um, and because of my medical background and having and treating patients for so long, it's like, Oh my, everybody wants to know what to eat. And I'm like, I, I don't like within the parameters of Western medicine, especially in cardiology, I'm going to tell you that this is what you're supposed to eat because that's what the American heart association says. But then if you take me aside, I'm going to be like, I don't know what to tell you to eat. I don't, I really don't. Um, eat. I mean, I think Michael Pollan's description of eat food, not too much, mostly plants is probably the best thing that we've got going for us, which is eat real, real food. food. You should just not too much of food. and mostly plants and uh, regenerative farming. Yeah. is where. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was a vegetarian for nine years and all of a sudden one day I was like, I don't yeah. feel good. And I just needed, I needed animal-based protein. And it, yeah, I too, I'm the same way. Like, I don't need a lot of it, but I, I, it makes me feel the best. And then you have this beautiful son who feels best when he avoids animal protein altogether. And so it is really, I think, instead of teaching people a diet, I feel like, and I don't, I'd like to know what your thoughts on this are, like teach people to eat intuitively. Like a hundred percent, a hundred. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, but I think that the, there's so 
food is so complex. There's so much um, emotional, childhood emotional that goes with it. So, I mean, I try to work with different people all the time, you know, whether they've got some sort of like a disease, an autoimmune, a preference, um, you know, but it's like, if we can just teach people from day one to be good eaters, I think that a lot of, you know, the historical will um, disappear. Yeah. And I think also too, it's like what, when you're describing Kenya, like pushing away, even as a baby um, foods that he doesn't like um, what's more intuitive than that. A hundred percent. And what's unfortunate in the, you know, in the food industry is that so much food and it's really specifically in the United States, it, in, even at a young age, like what do we put in kid based foods, dyes, food coloring, it's like there is no nutrition in that sugar, fat. And so at a very young age, our palate gets, um, you know, addicted to yeah. these types of flavors and kids find that they need these enhancers. It does become sort of an addiction. So, you know, teaching kids to just really from day one, have that sort of like fruits and vegetables and, um, you know, no soda and, you know, staying, you know, and I'm very moderate. Like I give my kids, we have ice cream, we make cookies and brownies. There's, there's no, um, I think that also when you, when you have none of it around, that can be, that can backfire as well. So, you know, I just try so hard to always teach my kids moderation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I just, that image is really powerful of Kenya, just like moving the meat out of the way. And um, I think that um, I, I agree with you. The American food industry is just a whole nother five hour conversation of its own. You know, uh, our, <laughs> our friend Robin um, O'Brien is, you know, very knowledgeable on that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the things that the food industry, like the big, uh, big food companies do here that they can get away with that they don't get away with in European countries is mind boggling to me, but yeah. really, truly the power exists within each parent. And I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not a parent, but as somebody who is, you know, really, you know, values my health, it can get overwhelming when you're like, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And then somebody else comes out with a new diet. It's like, no, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. And it's like, oh my God, you know, what do you like, just listen to your body. Like there's a few rules. Yeah, like, and I think, yeah. like stay away from like sugars, yeah. preservatives and all that and, and all that kind of stuff. But then after that, it's like, what are you, what does your body feel like it needs? And I think that's where well, we can't, you know, kids have a much better intuition than adults because intuitively kids actually know what they want. I mean, a great example was, I remember when Kenyon went to school and he was like seven or eight years old and I, I have a bento style lunchbox and it has, I always put a fruit, a vegetable, protein, carbohydrate, and like a little sweet treat. And I had sent him with cookies that day and I, um, everything came back empty except for the cookie. And I was like, you didn't eat the cookie. He's like, uh, no. And I was like, why? That's, you didn't eat the cookie? But like intuitively, his body knew he needed the fruit, the vegetable. You know, I think that parents often make this, you know, decision for kids um, that of course they're going to want the dessert, but sometimes like intuitively they might want the cherry tomatoes. Kids have a, just a better, uh, like, comprehension sometimes of what what they naturally want to eat and parents will often say like oh my god like you know he hasn't had a vegetable in days and then all of a sudden eats tons of vegetables like kids if you are offering 
people, kids and adults, what they their body needs, they will eat it. It's, it's kind of surprising. Yeah. And I think the kids are, are more intuitive because they they're young and they haven't been, they haven't learned all the rules yet. Right? And by rules, yeah. I mean, they haven't learned all the trappings of adulthood that tell them what they should and shouldn't want. You know, they actually still think yeah. for themselves for a little bit. So, um, so I think that I do think that that's, you know, that's why kids tend to be profoundly intuitive with, and, and that includes with food, you know? So I love that. Um, is there a time in your life, Catherine, where, um, you know, I see you as this probably, um, as this very, I see you as this very intuitive being, even though you might not call yourself that, that's how I see it. Um, and I want to ask you though, if there's ever been a time in your life where you didn't follow your intuition, where like your gut was screaming, you know, one thing and you were like, no, I don't want to listen. I'm going to do this. Hmm. I mean, there have to be a, a bunch of different uh, circumstances. Oh, my gut was, I need a second to think about this one. Because I feel like I've always, always followed my gut for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't really go against, I go against it very often. And I think that things in general have been a longer road for me with, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely look at life and like my career and parenting as marathons and not races. Um, yeah. Because sometimes even when you don't follow your intuition or gut and you're like, oh, why didn't I do that? I think that there's, for the most part, an opportunity to um, rectify it, replace it to, to, to learn the lesson that, you know, that may have well, yeah, absolutely. the road a bit. Yeah. And it provides, I mean, for me, I mean, without a specific instance, I think of the times where I, I didn't follow my intuition. I can look back and be like, man, I knew it. I knew it. And I didn't want to believe it, but I knew it. <laughs> and, um, and what a beautiful learning it. Cause it's always, you know, there's always some sort of, um, at least for me, looking back when I haven't followed my intuition, there's always some sort of challenge that comes along with that or some sort of loss or sorrow or, you know, injury mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and that just provides such a beautiful learning experience and a contrast to actually following your intuition and being in a path of alignment, right? So we need those moments to be I, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stay over here. <laughs> I, call, I call it being a know-it-all when I'm like, I knew it. I knew intuition and being a know-it-all or somehow uh but i mean as a you know as a mother you know it's i think that i i i I need to almost like replace that i need to think of it as intuition um more in my daily life because i think that sometimes it's more of course i'm your mother so of course i know what's best for you yeah sometimes actually kids know what's best for themselves so i think that's funny too they do and i but i think that the the know-it-all piece like um that has a negative connotation only when we take what we think we know and we expect other people to, to act upon that. Right. Yes. Whereas fair. Very like, fair. I have a feeling, I feel like I know this is what's going on and it's your journey. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have my, my perceptions and my feelings and this is how I feel about the situation and it's your journey and I honor your journey. So yeah. And I think that an, uh, not enough people probably get to do that. And as a parent, that is a big job of, of always just like allowing your, your child to go as they may. 
<laughs> we have to follow. Every, we all have to. We all have to follow her journey. That's right. That's right. Um, last question I want to ask um, is: I feel like because you have made such a, a mark in the um, in the food industry um, and and in this um, menu planning and offering families and and children really beautiful ways to connect and to be healthy. Um, I'm sure that you get a lot of questions and emails and probably just a tons of messages from people who have been um, following you for a long time now. And obviously your son, Kenya is a huge success story in, in following your intuition with him and, you know, taking medical advice and then knowing when to use it and when not to use it knowing when to really just do what's right for your kid. Um, but outside of him, do you have another success story, like somebody that you can think of that's just like, has had just a huge transformation by, by following your work? I mean, I, I would say that it's probably a lot. I, I, I receive emails all the time. I would say the smoothie project has been probably the most gratifying for my work, just because, you know, people like treating it as a movement where if you're able to just cut out that that breakfast that you were or, or snack or dinner, I mean, and have a smoothie that's packed with fruits and vegetables and proteins, I think that people all of a sudden realize what they weren't getting and that it's something that tastes delicious and it, there's no deprivation because I think sometimes people think like, oh, like whether it's a new way of eating, living. Like, oh, I'm going to be deprived. I'm going to miss something. So I think for a lot of my work is trying to like enhance what you're putting in your body and, and enjoying it in a positive way. So, you know, those, those, I mean, those are like daily success stories and they're, you know, sometimes they're wrapped around illness. Sometimes they're wrapped around, you know, young girls not eating at all and adding a smoothie in and, you know, working with mothers. And I don't know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's always an adventure, but um, th those are the emails that feel really good. And you love your work. Oh my God. I love my work. I'm so, I'm so lucky. I, you know, I love, and also because my work for the most part is like involves my family. So I, you know, I, I don't have this like divide of like going to the office every day. Mm -hmm. So much of what I do is just my daily 21 meals with my family. They are, they are my, my, my best muses case subjects. Um, it's, it's awesome. I love that. Well, you know, for all those people listening, if you follow Catherine on Instagram, if you scroll way back to when her youngest was really young and able to just barely sit up on the counter, um, you know, our, our friend circle here at home, um, has an obsession with watching Gemma, the youngest, drink smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it all. I mean, that's how it all started. Yeah, we used to, so for anyone who knew that. So we, we Gemma, when we were all four standing around, and I had a ten-month-old baby, and she had horrible food allergies. I mean, I had to gluten. I mean, everything, dairy. I had to remove everything. So she was drinking these smoothies, and we, she, I'd be holding it and like. <laughs> And, you know, you're, you're, like I put bee pollen in mine and all these things that, you know, I don't know if you should, should be having it, Fine. I put her on the counter and she would just suck them down. And oh, we just thought did. it was the funniest thing ever. And let me tell you something, she's five years old. And if I do not have her smoothie sitting on the kitchen counter at, you know, by the time she will scream at you. She's like, where's my smoothie? <laughs> Every day of her life, she has had one. And she's five she's years old. She's like adorable little, little 
ball of flesh, like literally tripoding on the counter with her, with her hands and her butt, like, like bent over, like inhaling a smoothie to this just little, you know, dick smoothie. Little powerhouse. (laughs) She is. And it's the best. It's the best. And so, and I just love that, that I I love that you have been able to, um, to, to bring work into your family and your family into work. I think that's, yeah, I think that you, I think there are like a lot of women out there right now, like that come up with companies that are often based on their own experience or their own, um, their family or what, and it's incredible. And being able to really, you know, intertwine them like my other company one potato it's the same thing like the meals that we send there are things that my family eats and loves and like i I mean like i now have two vegetarians uh, three carnivores one that can't have dairy oh my i mean it's like but i still every night i put a meal on the table that everyone can eat and i think that that's part of figuring out you know what's the you know some figuring out a, a DIY situation that everyone feels like yeah. fills their bucket. Yeah. And I love that image that you shared at the beginning of, of going and asking each per each member of the family, what are the top 10 foods that you love? And then you've got all these, you know, you've got a card representing each person in your family and you can start to cross reference. It's okay. Well, everybody loves apples. So I'm going to give apples at every meal. <laughs> exactly. Guess what's for dinner again? Apples. <laughs> um, we, we, we eat very seasonally too. I think that that's also, you know, like don't have strawberries in January. You know, you, you go to look, shop at your local farmer's market. What's, what's on sale at the grocery is definitely generally what's in season. Um, and just educate yourself. It, it can be really fun. Um, turning, turning like food into a game, you know, making it exciting, learn more about it, grow it, you pick it, whatever it is. Um, you know, that's, that's part of like, you, you, like you said, like using your intuition to know like what your body wants and to retrain yourself. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So mm. now we're at the place in the podcast where I am. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what I'm going to do for you, Catherine is I love this book. Um, and for those of you who are watching, here's what it looks like. And for those of you who are listening, it is a book by Melody Beatty and it's spelled B E A T T I E. And the book is called Journey to the Heart, and it's a book of daily meditations. And so there is a meditation for each day of the year, like January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd. Um, but the way that the, I love to use this book um, when I'm using it for myself is just to randomly open it to a page and read whatever um, excerpt is on that page. And it always lands for where I am in my life at that moment. So um, I'm going to ask you, Catherine, to pick a number of between three and 373. First number. Okay, I'm taking my, I'm taking, no. Uh, oh, do I have to do that? I was going to actually, I was going to add my kids' birthdays together. Should I just, into, should I just let that go? Uh, yeah, whatever you want to do. You can add your kids' sure. birthdays together. That's fine. If that was the F- first thing let's you go 50. To do. Yeah. That was the first thing I wanted to do. So 50, 58. Age okay. 58. Wow, that's seriously fast math. Okay. <laughs> they have they have good I was prepared to start numbers. tabulating for you with a calculator. Uh, <laughs> this is great. Okay, so here's the reading that starts on page 58. And it's okay. called Let Life's Rhythm Find You. I sat in my room, a small cabin in Chimeo, New Mexico. 
The clock whizzed through the hours, but I didn't whiz through my morning. I felt overwhelmed, lost. I had more to do than I could handle. I didn't know where to begin, so there I sat, stuck. Jenera, who ran the hostel, knocked on my door about noon. Are you okay, she asked. Come have coffee and fruit with us. Her quiet kindness, her gentle concern, and the simple act of having coffee and fruit with a friend brought me back to balance. There's a life force, a movement, a momentum that transcends our fears and hopes, our limitations, our overwhelmed feelings, and even our confusion. There's a heartbeat, a rhythm to life and the universe. It's gentle, easy, and natural. It's in us and it's around us. It comes gently, naturally, like a friend knocking quietly on the door, asking if we are okay, if we have lost our way. There is purpose, meaning, and rhythm to each step, each beat of your life. Each step, each feeling, each beat of your life is another mile traveled on your journey, your journey to your heart. If you've lost your way and can't find life's rhythm, don't worry. Keep your heart open and it will find you. That's so beautiful. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? I know. Now I need the book. It's a great book, man. Now I really need and I just love How that. How did you it, find like, it originally? So I, we used it in my yoga teacher training program. And so and there were days when we'd start off the, you know, start off the weekend um, and somebody would get up in front of the whole um, class and open it just at a random page. And it was always like, perfect. It was perfect. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Yeah. So I just, I love that. Um, well, first of all, I love that it talked about coffee and fruit. Um, <laughs> I do too, because that's so funny. Talk about intuition. I was thinking about what I was going to eat after this, and I swear on my life, I was like, oh, coffee. Well, I was going to have a smoothie, so fruit in the smoothie. It's close enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just <sighs> being willing to, um, to to let people be on their journey while you're on yours and, and trust that everything mm. will work out. So I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're so welcome. Well, Catherine, um, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience before we wrap things up? I don't know. I just keep listening to the podcast. I think that's so, I mean, I'm, you know, I told you I'm podcast obsessed. So this is, this is a good one. I'm, I'm excited to see all the other people you've got on. Awesome. Thanks, Catherine. And where can people find you? Uh, all social media at Weelicious and uh, at One Potato Box. Perfect. And I will add that to the show notes. Yay. Um, I can't thank, thank you. you enough. This has been so fun for me and such a beautiful way to connect. Thank and um, thanks thank for your you. time. Um, again, my name is Peyton Turner and my guest is Catherine McCord and we are both into it. 